Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Marcy. Thank you so much, Mickey. And uh, hi, I'm Marcy H., and I'm a compulsive eater. Hi, everybody. I would like to thank Rod and Mickey for having me. I'm so grateful. And I'd love to congratulate our birthday girl and our chip takers. It's so valuable that you're able to celebrate that with us. So um, I understand this is going on um, around the country. This message is going out. So I'd like to give a warm welcome to everybody all over the country and perhaps the world who may hear this. And maybe living in a place where there are so few meetings, you know, but we are all one and we're united in this. So, And hi to all my L.A. peeps. Um, I see a lot of loving, warm faces around the room, people that I know, and it's so good to see you all. So, um, you know, I knew I was speaking for a couple of weeks, and specifically today I really tried to pray to um, my Creator um, to just let me be a vessel. So I'm holding in my hand the St. Francis of Assisi prayer. If I find myself going off into ego or Marcy stuff, I'm going to stop and just read it so you guys know what's going on. If I just suddenly (laughs) break into St. Francis. Um, What it was like for me. Um, I was born in the 60s, a Jew in Tennessee. (laughs) And it was just, what can I say? It was always, especially back in the 60s, very much us and them. So back then before really all even southern parts and Midwest became melting pots for the world. Back then it was really just black, white, Jew, Christian. And it was us and them. And um, I felt very isolated in a lot of ways uh, because I was a very curious little Jew, Jewess. <laughs> you know, I would go to synagogue and do all the right things because we were, <laughs> we were raised Orthodox. But I was so curious about other religions and I was so curious and I had so many questions like who's this, you know, who's this Jesus guy, who's this Buddha guy and I, I was really just kind of told to be quiet and know my place. So I, there was a lot of stuff inside of me, a lot of questions and curiosity and I ate over that. I always ate over that. Um, I was very artistic, and I was born into a family where my mother just did the very best she could. She was very high-strung, and thank God she's mellowed out through all these years, and she did the very best she could. But she was the source of a lot of resentments for me. So anything she told me to do, I did the opposite thing. Stay small, don't be creative, don't be artsy. Don't. I, I had to break out of that and rebel and also eat so that she could pay. I mean, what, what kind of sense does that make? You know, I could make her pay. And um, every time she would take me to the dressing rooms to find the little clothes for the school year or whatever and try to stuff me into the last size that I was supposed to still be, I knew it caused her great pain to try to stuff me, and I loved that. I loved that, and I hated that all simultaneously. So as we all know, this is um, a very contradictory thing that we do. You know, we are very, very, um, it's a double-sided coin. We're very, very much in self-pity, but on the other side, I'm very, very arrogant. You know what I mean? So um, 
we learn through this commonality that we all have to see the duality in all things. You know, we learn it's an and world, not a but world. You know, I'm a nice person, but I'm a very selfish, compulsive eater. Not but, and, <laughs> you know, I can be all of these things at once. Right now, I just hope to be a channel, to continue to be a channel. Um, I, I basically was that hardcore bottom feeder overeater who had cans of food under the bed, um, cruising the hallway all night, um, going down the hall as quiet as a mouse, sneaking sandwiches and all kinds of heinous food <laughs> under my nightgown, on the sides of my underwear. I'm saying this to the world. You know, there's nothing to be ashamed of because we all unite in a, in for the, over this commonality and we're so not freaks because there are so many successful people in this program that this area of their lives they cannot manage without you and me. So I am really proud to be able to just stand in front of you and, and fess up to that. Um, in the morning, there would be st stinky, stenchy things under my bed, and I would have to sneak and throw them away. And uh, I'm that kind of eater. Um, throughout my life, and also the, the thing that I felt, another thing I felt very ostracized about was that I was very, very close up to a lot, a lot, a lot of money because of the culture that I was born in. Um, or maybe just not the culture, but the placement of the culture in the South. I don't know, think commerce, think Mississippi River. I, I know it's an umbrella statement, but not to offend anyone, but we weren't wealthy. So there was another reason why I felt off to the side, marginalized, and I was going to eat over that too. And I was going to make sure that everybody knew I <clears throat> just did not care about money. Through many, many years, that manifested into a lot of compulsive eating and a lot of shirking any idea of success, that I could be a success in any way. God forbid should I accomplish anything and make money. <laughs> money was like the enemy somehow. Um, <clears throat> now I know we all want security and it's okay to be successful and it's okay to have things as long as, you know, you're not idolizing money. Um, so I'll take you through some future years. I think you see the picture of the child, the childhood. I was always 15 or 20 pounds overweight. Spiritually, I was very much searching. Um, and emotionally, I think I've already described that to you. Into my teens, I worked very, very early. I remember looking around and seeing all my friends inheriting the, the dad's Mercedes Benz and asking my mother, where was my car? <laughs> and she said, at the mall where your job will be. <laughs> it was very cut and dry for me. I knew I would have to earn every single cent that would ever come my way in life. Uh, you know, and I could do that. I always worked two and three jobs. And uh, it's funny, ever since 16, you know, I worked and worked and um, spent my money on food, you know, ironically, clothes and food. But, um, you know... I know that when I went off to college for that first try that didn't take, <laughs> finally graduated years later, but um, that was the first time I was alone in a dorm with a roommate who came in and out, and I would shovel the food in. I could buy food, you know, I could buy food with school money and um, just binge all night and isolate that way. And uh, but walk out onto the campus, and I, I, you know, just thought I was this hot, cute little chick. I mean, you know, just hide. I learned really how to masquerade then, how to go out and have two faces—the face I wanted you to see, and the face that was destroying herself literally behind the scenes. And um, so that was kind of the first time I st was able to do it on my own with no one watching over me. And um, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> through the years after that first try at college didn't take, and the shame of that, the shame over a very traumatic childhood event 
with my father, which I didn't go into, and I think I'll just share that another time. I've shared it one too many times. But, you know, I just felt a lot of shame. And uh, I was that person who would go out and take two or three jobs through many, many years. I'll take you through the next 20 years. It's pretty simple. I would go out and work many, many jobs, and I would cleverly string them all together so that I would be working four days, but I could have a very, very good block of time, like maybe the next three or four days, where I could just destroy myself, pull the shades down. I think you all know the song and dance. Pull the shades down. The latch goes on the door early while it's still daylight, if it ever even came undone. And order out pizza, order in, you know, groceries, and just sit there and destroy myself. So, um... That really, I was very clever about doing that. Turning off, when it came to the cell phone years, I very cleverly, I thought it was so clever, you know, turned off the cell phone so nobody could find me. I was just so busy. And I just had a couple of friends that I could manage very, very easily that wouldn't ask too many questions. And I would always, I remember checking in on the cell phone, praying that no one had an emergency and turning it back off again for many hours. And I just did not want to be reachable or teachable. You know, this was really... um, A very sad, but on the other hand, a very miserly existence, you know. What's also sad is that I was putting darkness, I was putting myself in darkness when I was really born, a very creative child. I was told to be quiet, not to be creative by a well-meaning parent. But, um, you know what, all of that stuff was just storing up in me, and I was not true to myself. I was not authentic. And um, I just tried to be what other people wanted me to be. So, with that said, I don't think we need to revisit the sad, dismal past too much more. I'd love to go straight into what changed for me. Um, I came to L.A. 14 years ago this time, almost 15 years ago this time. And um, I, all of these habits, obviously, you can't pull a geographic. They just go wherever you go. So, um, a change of scenery didn't change anything on that. About three years ago, bless you, um, about three years ago, I was eating so much, and I was in real estate when the real estate market crashed. So I was eating much more than I had ever been accustomed to. I saw myself eating in ways that really, you just know when you're having heart palpitations at 47, because I'm 50 now, when you're having heart palpitations and you live alone because you've not created a life around yourself and you've shut out everybody, it's going to be that classic thing they're going, to, they're going to read in the newspaper about the stench from the courtyard of your apartment. And then nobody knew, this girl, you know, what was really going on. So, you know, we laugh and we, we laugh through our tears, but that's really what it was. And I had pink dot for everybody in Iowa. You know, pink dot, you know, pink dot is a delivery. Oh, I'm like promoting on the outside, sorry. Outside issue. I would order in groceries to the house, and the boxes were stacking up by the door. There was, let me just give you a picture three years ago. Greasy hair, no shower for how many days, who knows. But um, boxes stacked up by the door, and if I had to go run errands, I would, and I would come right back home to that little haven that I had created. And I just thought, you are going to die. My, ha- my heart literally hurt, and the food was up to my neck. So I waddled over to my computer with a 1,000 pounds, I mean, maybe really 60 pounds, 50 pounds of extra weight, which at this point I've lost half, and I've maintained that half weight loss. But I think at the time, 50, 60 pounds, waddled over to the computer, and I had two choices. My first choice was that I am going to Google some form of hypnotization, because there is nothing left I could do. I had tried every yo-yo diet in the book. We all know. We all know. We've tried everything. Every quick fix, every fast, every cleanse. And I started to Google uh, uh, West Los Angeles hypnotization for food. 
and something as God somehow came in and stopped my little hands because I just knew the flash for me that God paused even in that misery was that if you are as good at regulating your food through hypnotization, you're going to become that anorexic. The anorexic I've always envied, by the way. I never could be an anorexic. You're going to be an, you're going to be an overachiever in that area, and you're going to kill yourself with no food. I'm not going to let you do it. There was just really a, a feeling more than a voice, but that's what it was. So my fingers just went to Google OA. And my thought was, oh, remember five years ago, you walked into a meeting, no one connected with you, but why not try it again? Which, by the way, sidebar, is why it's so important to reach out to the newcomer. I mean, I could have been spared five more years at that point. I mean, who knows, maybe my path and my journey <coughs> excuse me, was that I needed five more years of misery to reach what we call you know, the bottom, the gift of desperation. But the thing is, we have to, I have to remind myself, I want to remind myself every meeting, even if I'm like, ugh. I look horrible this morning. I don't want to go. Or, you know, I, I ate too much yesterday and my ego doesn't want me to go to that meeting. Maybe, I, you know, whatever. I need to go for the newcomer. I really need to go because there's a newcomer there that needs reach, reaching out to. So, anyway, yeah, there I am at the computer. I, I, I think a few days after that, I went to my first meeting and everybody welcomed me. I mean, it was so warm, so warm and fuzzy. And I think because I was 47, I, was, I wasn't young and I wasn't like part of the LA scene. I wasn't like hot little mama I was already like beyond that you know I had no, I, was, I already was in humility and I didn't I didn't think oh, who are these cultish people surrounding me I thought oh please God yes you know I was so grateful I was in such gratitude it wasn't like all of the people and groups I had avoided all those years because I didn't want to be a part of anything I was what we call terminally unique I was on the outside I was a marginalized character uh, I was a struggling artist who was misunderstood and I was all this stuff now I was a part of a we, and I just felt it immediately. People reached out to me. I told them, Yo, you don't want to call me. You can't imagine how much pain I'm in and how much I'm going to bother you. If I, <laughs> if I really open this, this mouth, you are not going to believe the, the, the stuff that's going to fly out of here, the pain and the shame. And, the, and they said, you know what? I can't keep what I've got for 24, for 2, for 3, for 5 years imperfectly if I don't help you. And now I get that. Three years later, I get that. And have I lost all of my weight? No. And is that what I like to? Yeah. But it's definitely the third leg of the program. I can't, or nor do I really want to lose the weight in a non-quality way. I want the spiritual leg of the program. I want the emotional leg of the program, which is what I've been working on for so long. And, um, you know, I think the rest of the weight, I think the second 30 pounds will go. I have her around the middle there. But have I ever stabilized at any weight like I have these past three years? Oh, no. I mean, we all, we've all heard people say over and over, I crash dieted till I got somewhere, and I've stayed there for five minutes, and then I was on my way up. That's, that's a common story with us. So, you know, um, what's interesting in my story, interesting to me, Interesting, I think, to point out. You know, I'm so interesting to me. <laughs> right? You know, I'm definitely an addict. I've got the addict's mind with all the ego, and I'm just so very interesting. But I, I do believe this would be serviceful to, to share, though. <laughs> Is that, you know, there was a string, there were a string of, I don't want to say addictions, but visitations 
on certain substances, you know. <laughs> you know, I did the tour. I definitely did the grand tour, just like I did with all the religions, the grand tour, looking for God and looking for whatever it was was going to numb it out. If God wasn't there because I couldn't find God either. I knew God was there, but I didn't know which God to go to. So, um, you know, it started out, it was obviously originally food because we're not like hitting up the, the, the nickel bag guy down the street when we're four. So it was food. I was cruising the hallway at four, five, seven, you know, for food. But the minute I got my hands on alcohol, it was very short-lived, but, you know, um, at maybe 15, I was drinking alcohol. And I was drinking a lot because I'm an excessive person, and I don't know how to do anything a little bit. I'm an all-or-nothing person. I'm an addict. I've got, as the big book says, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, you know. Just fill in the blank of what substance it is, as I've heard people say. So um, I drank. I really, I really drank because it did loosen me up, and it did shut off the voice in my mind that you're not good enough. Your father did what he did and died in such a shameful way. You're so marginalized. You're so rich. You're so heavy. You're not this. You're not that. So drinking was good for that for a while. It was pretty short-lived. But then when I discovered marijuana, oh, holy day. Holy day. Oh, my God. Oh, I could numb out. I could so numb out. So there were years. There were there were years of, of marijuana, and, and really the drinking was like get me into the bar. Uh, I might as well have ten drinks, but I want to find the guy who's selling the pot. <laughs> it was really the thing because you don't just walk around on the street. You know, there's not a pot bar. I mean, maybe in L.A. now we have you know <laughs> state regulation accepts that. You know, but um, back in the day in Tennessee, not so much. So. Um, I was that person who would go and uh, find the pot and just mellow out. And I worked all those jobs I told you about, many, many jobs that, that I could organize in such a way. I mean, night jobs, day jobs, always saving my little nickels, you know, saving my little nickels for rainy days. Um, and the thing about it is I would smoke pot, smoke my brains out, wake and bake, but I would drink, as I say, but I would drink coffee so that the vessel could be fast. My body could be fast, and I could go wait tables. I could do whatever jobs I could string together and really be like moving fast, but be free in my head. Somehow that was just made sense to me. It was a really good idea <laughs> at the time um, until I got a DUI because I wanted to find pot in the bar and I drank and. Maybe there was no pot in the bar. Best thing that ever happened to me. So it, the string of addictions, not addictions as much as visitations, because food was the addiction. But I got it. I got a DUI, and I'm not from a family that people had been to jail. I mean, I don't mean to sound judgmental, but nobody had been to jail, and I was the I was the jailbird all of a sudden. And as I lied, laid in the in the jail that night after getting pulled over for DUI, and they weren't going to, those cops were not going to hear my story. I was screaming, crying. <laughs> I was really speeding is why I got caught. But thank God it happened because that was the first release of the first addiction. I li I laid in that bed with my cute little spectator shoes on, you know, the black with the little the white with the little black. I was so hot in my little black and white skirt. I was not. I was in a county facility where you could keep your clothes on but I just vowed I would never give that organization that industry another penny of my money the alcohol industry so alcohol thank God went away 18 years ago but no program no program I mean maybe a few little meetings that that the cops you know the um, the legal system made me go you know to sit in on but I thought I'm not one of them I'm not one of them I can give up drinking like that so um, many, many more years, I smoked a lot of pot and ate a lot of food. 
I mean a lot of food, and I'm a hardcore. I told you, I'm the person who does not so much want the sugar and cookies, but I want a wheel of brie in my hand. If my hand were edible, I'm telling you, I mean, I would put it on my hand and eat it off. But, you know, so the bread is kind of incidental. I mean, the bread is a platform for butter and brie. That's my, that's my thing. That's, you know, I'm built that way. It's salty and savory and... You know, so there were many more years, and I'll steal someone's line who I heard recently at a share. The pot was really the performance-enhancing drug for the food. <laughs> so, boy, was I able to stuff food into this vessel. I mean, till sick, till sick. I've already described all of that. But uh, what's interesting, so interesting to me again, is that when I moved out to L.A., as I said, 14 or 15 years ago, I was still smoking pot. My, my last day of smoking pot was when I met a family, a, um, a cousin-in-law at a family wedding. And I said, and I was stoned out of my mind, out of my mind. And it was the first time I had really made a fool out of myself at a, like a family gathering because I was always able to smile. and You know, but what do they say? It catches up with you. It doesn't work anymore. And suddenly you're the pathetic person at the wedding crying in the corner. And not in a good way. <laughs> People are looking over you. What's wrong with her? She finally, she finally blew. You know what I mean? So uh, I said to this cousin-in-law, I said, well, I'm sober, but I smoke pot. <laughs> he said, you're a liar. You can't be sober and say you smoke pot. That's like a vegetarian who says they eat fish. You, can't, you cannot adulterate a definition. And, now, and I thought, well, he sure is hardcore wise ass, you know, excuse me for the language. But, um, you know, I, I thought, but now these years I really understand how we don't want to adulterate a definition. He was protecting, al- you know, alcoholics because that those were his people. And he was protecting that definition. I mean, you can't say, there are many things you can say you are. I can say I'm an artist even if I'm not, if I aspire to be an artist. But for what goes into my mouth, consumption, what causes me grief and others' grief, I can't really lie so he caught me in that, and I really learned that was the, the day I never smoked pot again was, was that day because I did not want to be a hypocrite. But the food had carried me far into the future, so up until three years ago. And I'll just turn around to look at the clock and, yeah, okay, we're doing okay, I guess. And um, on time, time-wise, um, that's kind of my story. I mean, I did. I tried little other things here and there. I tried nose candy. I tried other little things. It didn't really take. I was way too frugal. And I was not going to be anyone's Coke mama. I was not going to sleep around for it either. I had standards. So it all... <laughs> I did. I had standards. I was special. Special. You know, so it all fell on the food. It was very desperate. You're pretty much up to date. I think that's... Those are the high and low points. But... um. The thing is, I could not do this without all of you. I was so ashamed and demoralized from this disease. And this is a disease. This is not, you know, something to be taking light, taken lightly. There are, we think some of the 12-step programs, like, you know, I know a lot of people are cross-addicted. And um, we think some things are more desperate. Alcohol is more desperate. You could kill someone in a car. Well, I could so kill myself with food, and all of you could too. And, you know, for all of the manifestations of the disease, for all of our different colors, shapes, sizes, ages, and and aspects of the disease, the bulimia and the anorexia, if I could have done that, I was so envious. If I could have done that, I would have. I I just somehow didn't have that aspect of the controlling behavior. Um, But you know what? I have such compassion. And the steps... The steps are what literally are the lifesaver. You know, I have to say, I, you know, it's almost three years in program, and I'm just on step 10 for the first time. But um, I really, really realize, excuse me, <clears throat> um, it's 
kind of a flimsy line, but I don't have anything better yet. It's the turtle wins the non-race. Not only is it not a race, the turtle is just fine. Slow, steady moves. You know what I mean? And uh, taking time for self-care and self-protection and getting that abstinence right. Everybody in here could have a different abstinence. I can touch sugar just a little bit. I can't touch a wheel of brie to save my life. But So it's on the list of things I will not touch. There, basically, my abstinence is this. You know, God, please be with me in this meal. And if I want a little bit more, I can have a little bit more. But I can't touch these four things. I know, I know people who don't have any list of anything they can't touch, but they only have one plate. So we each have our freedoms in different areas. Um, but without the step work, I would just be another person trying to control her food. So I have to turn it over to God daily. Um, what's very interesting um, in another way is that I, in my fourth step, made this searing list of resentments, as we all know we, we, we do it. And my mother, it came out over and over and over. My mother, my mother, she squelched this, she squelched that. And all I saw when I went back and did the fifth step and read it to my sponsor was Marcy, victim, 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 victim. I mean, who's been, maybe she was rigid and tight back then. She did the best she could, especially with losing her husband in a really sad way and having to take care of three kids. But um, who's been carrying that around for these last 40-some-odd years? Me. Nobody but me. There's no one left to blame. So what's interesting is having worked through that and then having made a huge amends with her long distance with the help of my sponsor. And, oh, my God, do I highly recommend sponsorship and having sponsees. Um, I have one right now, but I'd like to return to having more and really know how to be of service. But, you know, the thing is, I just took a trip back to visit her, and it was the most beautiful trip. on the heels of having made a large, large amends to her where I just basically told her I was sorry for any pain I had ever caused her. I told her the things I admired about her, and then I kept my mouth shut after I asked her, is there anything you'd like to say to me, anything I can do to make it right? And she basically was very, it could have gone either way. She was very humble, which I highly recommend humility, because when you give it, you get it. She was very humble, and she said, you just keep living your life how I think you're living your life now, and you will make me a happy mom. And that just made me so feel so humbled and moved. And I had a visit home to her recently, very recently, for a week. And what's interesting is, um, as I know other people see my flaws, and I hope to be forgiven for them, I saw those same character defects that she has, but I saw them through the lenses of compassion. And really, it was so quiet. It was such an, a hole, a new hole where the angst and all the energy it takes to be angry at somebody, it was removed. It had been removed from me with God's help and with the step work. And uh, it was really a beautiful time together. And I, I just, this, these steps are the lifesavers. You know, they always say, go to a meeting to feel better, but work the steps to really get better. And I really, really believe that because um, I'm living proof. And I was very, very lonely before that. Um, now I have a world full of people in my life. I don't have to be overly dependent or, or what is it, um, dominant or dependent on any one person, as the big book talks about when we're overly dependent or dominant. I have many, many people in my life because of this program. And I have different worlds of people. I have the yoga world. I have my OA world. But nothing, not yoga, not the, uh, mm, I'll keep it general so I'm not proselytizing, the Eastern philosophies that I've ended up believing in general. That couldn't save me from the food. Yoga could not save me from the food. I would work yoga the way I would have job. If I'm going to do yoga these three days, I can't eat on those nights before. It couldn't save me, but these steps, there's salvation in these steps, really. 
and um, that it's very humbling to admit where you are defected. And we're defected in the, in the ways, I am at least, in the ways that um, I am that piece of shit the world revolves around. And please excuse me for the language again. I have ten minutes left. All right. I'd much rather hear you guys than hear me, so I think I'll use two minutes to wrap and eight minutes left for questions. Um, the piece of caca that the world revolves around. Yeah. You know, there it is, that duality again. You know, it's that double-edged thing, that double-sided coin. You know, um, but I'm not. Really, if I can just be a channel, and I think I would absolutely love to pick this up now if I promised in the beginning if I were going to go astray, which I don't really think I have, but I'd love to end on this beautiful note. And it makes me very happy that we don't have to be any one religion or believe in any one God, he, she, it. We can choose the God of our understanding, but I really do dig the way Francis put this, okay? (laughs) Dig it. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master or Mistress, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. So gorgeous. So I'm going to wrap on that, and I'm going to use, I guess, what's eight minutes to ask you if you have any questions. Laura asked um, me to describe the actions I take daily to accept life on life's terms. Basically, life on life's terms. Life on life's terms is that I wake up and my head is in overdrive. Overdrive. That's my life on life's terms. That's me, me knowing my head goes there, unless I stop and pray. There are only two spots I can go to before I sit down and pray and meditate every morning scheduled in and that's obviously my cup of tea and that's obviously the restroom that is it all that's wrong I mean there's nothing else I can do I can't let let media in no internet no phone no anything obviously no television in the day for me I mean I that is something um, that is me accepting life on life's terms my moves are that I pray and meditate because if I don't I cannot accept life life on life's terms Um, I'm off in my head I heard someone recently describe if I don't stop and pray first thing in the morning, what did she say? My head wakes up first and snorts two lines of Coke. <laughs> I thought that was so golden. So that's me knowing I have to pray. Everything else just falls right into place if I have a still mind that's um, basically framed and structured from the beginning of the day. Oh, my God, I'm so glad you asked that, Hank. Hank basically asked, did I ever get the opportunity to thank the gentleman at the wedding, the cousin-in-law that that hit me over the head with a two-by-four that I was not sober. Um, You know what? It's very interesting. Um, I was close with that person for a while, and uh, that person is now deceased. And so that person did not get to see from the life from the earthbound vantage point my finding, finally finding the steps in a program finally giving up the food made the steps you know the steps were always chasing me anyway even though I didn't work them for the pot or the alcohol but I it's so interesting you should ask me that Hank because recently I've been including him in my prayers and saying thank you so much for opening my eyes to that so I've really been thanking him and hoping that he can see and also he introduced me to some very non-punishing soothing loving philosophies for daily practice with my creator that have helped me so much so I thank him daily 
as far as at least recently I've been thanking him daily. Um, the person with the question, the lady with the question, asked me to describe my abstinence. Um, my abstinence is that I don't eat three things and I have to measure one thing. I don't eat any high-fat dairy of any kind unless, as a vegetarian, I am desperate and I'm out of the proverbial diner or party and all there are, are uh, is blocks of cheese, but there has to be a witness. I can't do that at home. So it's no high-fat dairy of any kind across the board, including mayo, no deep-fried battered food, as a southerner, that used to be one of my things, and um, no wheat of any kind, no wheat. Every now and then, if it's not recreational, like it happens to be in soy sauce, I'm forgiving because I don't want to be punishing and crazy restrictive because I'll, I'll rebel against that. So those three things, and then I have to measure oils because now that they took away my butter, <laughs> I found myself painting all kinds of food with bottles of olive oil. <laughs> so I have to measure the olive oil. There is a solution. So that's my abstinence. For <laughs> that's the abstinence for the food, but my abstinence really is daily turning it over to God, starting the day out with prayer and meditation, even if it's just very imperfectly, all of it, for, you know, three to five minutes, hopefully 30, you know, but that's my abstinence. Jamie, that's a really good question because there is another abs a um, aspect to my abstinence. Say that fast five times. Um, there is another aspect. And um, so is my food plan, my abstinence, is there... Okay, so that was basically the question. What is my food plan? I have to eat three meals a day. I have to because I don't want to eat breakfast. If I do not eat breakfast, I am road building toward a binge at night. And I will sleep on that on that built that road that has been built I will sleep on it and I will be sick the next day so I have to eat breakfast um, and protein is the anchor of every meal for me and as a veggie I'm not preaching veggie but just it does come up as a veggie it can be challenging um, it can also be challenging that I have to let carbs come in if I'm a veggie actually vegan so but I, I have to eat breakfast I have to eat three meals a day and I can have up to three snacks and there have there has to be time in between these meals this, this cannot be um, you know, an expertise grazed throughout the whole day, done with such precision, like all day, nonstop. This cannot happen. So there has to be like really two or three hours in between each. I'm the oldest, and Hank had a follow-up question on my two siblings, my two biological siblings that I mentioned before. Um, do they see the improvements in, in my life? Do they see my recovery? Yes, and that's such a good question, Hank. Thank you for that. It's all long distance because all of us flew away from Tennessee. You know, we were very much do-it-ourself kids, and we all went, you know, kind of, and we had to go out and make a living for ourselves, you know, so we all did it in different cities. So, you know, we've got the southeast, we've got the northeast, and we've got me out here. They have seen such a change. I visit once a year in recovery and abstinence, and I really visited once a year before my three years of, of you know, of program. But... What they've seen in the last three years, they have said to me many, many times that, Marcy, something has come over you. Something's changed. What are you doing? And, you know, sometimes I feel a little bit shy to go into all the details. But sometimes, and maybe through the years, you know, God will grace me with a little bit more um, turning that over. But sometimes I just say, like, oh, it's group. It's group. It's a group. You know, I really met very much into individual therapy and group therapy, which is actually true. But this is my group, and I don't know how safe I feel to give all the results, I mean, all of the um, intricacies at this point, but they have seen a change. They see somebody 
first of all, he's not sneaking down from <laughs> once a year from the once a year visit down to their kitchen, wiping out the kitchen. And they've always said, "Oh, it's okay, my loving sister-in-law." Oh, Marcy, who cares? It's okay. But it's, it was so not okay. But now they know that's not happening, and they know I'm <laughs> I'm available as a person. And I, I call, I call regularly. You know, I check in, and we Skype. I'm sorry, outside issue, but I'm not promoting any um, specific video long distance. But you know, we do the FaceTime. We do the FaceTime. You know, and it's amazing. And they can call me. They can call me, and I can put my camera on my computer, or once I get the newer phone with FaceTime any time of day and it's not like I need three more days to recover from the binge and get my face unpuffed so that I can talk to them you know I can be had at a minute's notice there I am if I can take that call and the other brother um, we're coming up on our last minute it looks like and the other brother I'm not all that close to but he's a very successful person and he is actually coming around and on the holidays we kind of shout out a little email you know, of congratulations or happy turkey day or whatever it is. And even he knows because of the stories from my mother and that other brother that I'm so close to and my two nieces and his wife, they basically tell him, you would not you would not believe. Just what they tell me, you would not believe something's shifted in her, something's really shifted, you know. And maybe they don't understand it's a day at a time. I mean, I don't get to keep this more than one day. None of us do, but... You know, that'll be our little secret. It's really just for today. <laughs> so, anyway, that is my time. And I am so honored and grateful again. And uh, if one person got anything from this, then it is a great day for me. You know, thank you so much.